thanks for being here this morning. Um, this is a time that uh, it's really a secular holiday or a time that we are, reflect on uh, the value of mothers uh, as a nation, I guess. But, um, you know, it's taught in God's Word. There's a lot that God's Word says about mothers and the importance of motherhood and the job and responsibility that, that a mother has and the influence that they have. So it's a, it's a great time for us to look at God's Word in our worship of Him, to look at His Word and see what He's taught about the role and responsibility of a mother. And for those of us that are not, to reflect on what our mothers have done for us. Uh, I heard it said this, one, this way one time, is a mother's kind of like uh, they have a, a pitcher of water and they've got all these people in their lives. The, they've got their children. They've got their husband. They've got grandchildren. They've got all these people in their lives. And they've got this pitcher of water. And they're constantly filling up those people's cups and keeping them full at all times. And sometimes uh, one may, may need some more. And so they, they constantly are aware of the needs of everybody that they're trying to serve. But a lot of times, who fills up the pitcher? And sometimes, sometimes we as, as men especially are guilty of taking our moms and our wives for granted and not filling up their pitcher, not giving them what they need uh, to get through the things, the challenges that they have in life. So uh, we're going to look this morning at a story from the Old Testament. It is, uh, it's really at a time of... Um, the time of the judges. We have a time of the judges, and and during this, before Israel had a king, and during this time, uh, there was a man, man named uh, Elkanah, and he had two wives. Now, let me say right off that uh, probably of all the family structures that you could come up with, uh, having two wives would absolutely be the worst one. Uh, we're lucky enough, I guess, in, in our culture and, and according to God's law at this time, we have, we have laws against polygamy. So uh, we, all, we have one wife. Uh, but, but you can imagine the jealousy that would occur when you had a man and he had two wives. You know, at least Solomon had 700 so you have 700, it's kind of hard to be jealous when there's so many. But if you had two, that's especially contentious. And so it was for these two. Uh, because one of the ladies, one of the women, had given Elkanah children. And the other had not. She was barren. And to make matters worse, uh, the one who had, the one had, had born children for years had taunted the one that had not. So the barren woman just, she just felt horrible about not being able to bear children. Now, Elkanah loved the, the, the barren woman and he treated her well. It wasn't that, but still, there was something that was missing for her. And guys, I don't know that we'll ever fully understand uh, how important that can be. I know that some ladies go through those problems. Um, and, but it's important. It's important. 
and it was important to this person. Uh, she, she, her, it says here that she went to God in prayer. She actually went to the tabernacle, and she went and she she gave this prayer. And we'll just see in this prayer her heart. It says, and she was in bitterness of the soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. That's kind of an allusion to the, the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was actually something that was a commitment that you made for a certain period of years, like seven years. And you were to go seven years without a razor coming upon your head. And but and there were certain restrictions. So, so this was an allusion to making him a, a really a living sacrifice to God for the entire time of his life. You can see here that this was something that it consumed her. Every thought was consumed by this whole idea of being barren. And so she went to God and she, she made this vow and she prayed. And notice her spirit that she says, I'm your maidservant. Uh, if you will bless me in this way, I will remember and I will, I will offer this child as a, as a sacrifice to you. And that, this child will serve you all the days of his life. Well, we find that uh, she was blessed, that she did have that child, that God blessed her in the way that she had hoped. And so, you ever think about it that there there are times that you may be kind of like her. You know, you're hurting. There's something really, really bothering you. And so you go to God and you ask for His help with that. And, but you know, when the pain is relieved, you kind of forget about it. It's like, well, you know, okay, that's over with. Now let's go on the next thing. That was not this person's attitude at all. So what they did is after the child was weaned, now this is obviously very, very young. The child is weaned. He takes the child back to the tabernacle and back to the priest. And he says, Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, who was the priest. And, and she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. So she didn't forget about her promise. And so maybe, you know, a two or three years later, however length of time there was in this period, that she remembered her vow to God and she brought the young child there to the tabernacle to serve. Now, interestingly, she was... Um, 
uh, Elkanah, the, the father, was of the tribe of Levi. And so, by law, this young man would serve in, in the tabernacle from age 25 to 50. That would, that would be the normal time that he would, he would be served. He would have to serve. But you can see here that immediately, as soon as he was old enough uh, to be of any function at all, she took him to the tabernacle, to, the God, to God's house, and put him to work right then and right there. You know, I bet you there were a lot of times, you know, as, as he began to, to grow up, there was probably a lot of times that this was a tremendous inconvenience. I mean, he, there was, I'm sure there were times that he probably wanted to go out and to play with his friends. There might have been times that they wanted to go on a vacation, but they couldn't because he had certain responsibilities in the tabernacle. But still, they, they held to that promise, to that vow. And, this, and she did not forget her God. So she went back to worship God. And I just want you to get a sense for her heart. I just took a few snippets from her prayer. But I want you to look at them. It says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, I looked up this thing of, of a horn. I, I, I read that and I thought, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, in prophecy, in prophecy a horn is referred to as a center of power. But I really couldn't make that work very well either. And I read somebody that said that it was traditional during this time for a lot of the women that lived in this area in Lebanon to wear either a tin or a silver cone right here on their forehead. And it would extend up several inches. And from that, they would drape a veil. Now, for a woman that, that was... Without child, there was a certain protocol that they followed. And the veil would be up at a certain height and it would drape down at a certain angle. But once a woman became a mother, then they changed the horn. And the horn would would be a little bit higher and they would drape the veil a little bit different. Now, to you or I looking at that, we probably wouldn't notice the difference. But because it was something that was part of their culture and something they did a lot... It was very obvious to those that would be around about and see that. And so I believe that that's her illusion. That's what she's referring to here is my horn is that that horn that they wore and the veil that draped from that. And she says that I don't take any credit for that. That's, that's all what God has blessed me with. Notice that she says I smile at my enemies. Do you, do you get a sense of the complete confidence that she had. She had a total confidence. God, she, she had had this problem. She had gone to God and God had granted her her request. And she hadn't forgot it. She continues and she says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. You know that they lived in a time where there were lots of, of peoples round about them that served all kinds of gods. They, they lived in a very polytheistic world where people served multiple gods. 
and she is she is saying that there's only one and he's unique and she continues and she says talk no more so very proudly let no arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is God of knowledge and by his actions are we weighed she thought that, that pride was completely foolish because all things were in God's hand. And then finally, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them to make them inherit the throne of glory so a complete confidence in god she knew that he, that god was capable of making making the making someone that was weak into someone that was strong because he she felt like he had really done that in her situation and that she was greatly blessed well who was this great woman of faith? This great woman of faith, her name was Hannah. She was Hannah. Are you familiar with the story of Hannah? Well, we just talked about it a little bit this morning. And how about the son, the child that was dedicated from a young life? What happened with him? Did he, did he grow up to do anything? Was there any significance to him at all? Well... We're going to find that he was a great prophet of God during this time of the judges. We're also going to find that he was the very last of the judges. He became a judge and he served there as a judge. And finally, he appointed or anointed the first king of Israel. That is, King Saul. And then he also appointed David to be king after Saul's demise. So this was a man that was greatly involved in the work of the Lord and he started that from a very young age. And his name, we're talking about the prophet Samuel. Well, so what do we know about the raising of Samuel? What kind of influence must Hannah have had on Samuel for Samuel to have been so successful in serving God all the days that he lived? Well, let's just reflect back on Hannah's character. What did Hannah believe? Hannah had the ultimate confidence in God. She knew that God was unique. She knew that human pride, she could have taken pride in having the child herself, she elected not to do that. She knew that pride was, was really pointless because really all that credit should be going to God. And finally, she knew that, she could, that God was capable of taking someone that was weak and making them very powerful, very strong. You know, we can think about... So you have someone with great character here in Hannah. And then you think about the kind of the, the cauldron of, of society or the world that, that Samuel grew up in. Samuel grew up being raised by this woman. Samuel grew up working in the Lord's work from a very, very young age. 
And the result of that was Samuel was a remarkably productive person in the Lord's, in the Lord's, in the Lord's work in the, the kingdom of Israel at this time. So, just like in today's world, we can think about people, you know a person or you know a, a, a couple, and that couple uh, is of high moral character, you, you're around them and, and you see the values that they hold dear and you see the way that they behave themselves, and then you look at their children and you see that their children are growing up to be the same type of people that are, that are faithful in the Lord's kingdom and that there is... A, that they're also of high quality in terms of morals and character. So you can connect those two points and recognize that there must be something going on in that home that caused it to be that way. And I think we've got a, a, some examples today. You know, the Jones family. We've got several uh, generations of the Jones family. Now, if you talk to Yancey, he'll be modest and tell you that you know they made a lot of mistakes with their kids. Um, We've got the, 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 the Logan family, the same thing, that you see uh, generations of people in the Lord's work that they were raised in that environment and then they grew up to continue to serve and then their children continue to serve. The Cole family is another example that we have here. Um, so I think you can look at what Hannah did and you can recognize that the fact that she involved herself so much in, in being the kind of mother she needed to be for Samuel and involving him in the work from such an early age that it had a huge impact on the person that Samuel ultimately became. And I would say to this, mothers, you have the same influence today that the things that you're teaching at home, it matters. The life that you're living, it matters. It's going to affect the kind of child, the kind of young man or young lady that you ultimately raise and you send out into the world. And it's going to affect their faithfulness. Now, it doesn't mean that in all cases it's going to work perfectly. You know, the, because God has left us as free moral agents and children can choose and sometimes they choose to go astray. But the path that Hannah chose and the path that I exhort you to choose is one of obedience to God and of great faith like this lady had. Well, what about Samuel's kids? That's a good question. Samuel was a great man of God. But what about Samuel's kids? In 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 3, it says this, But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. A great man of God, but yet he wasn't able to raise children that were of the same type of moral character. But Hannah was. A mother's influence being something that's incredibly powerful. So let's look real quickly. What can we learn from Hannah? Well, she had some pretty powerful beliefs. And those beliefs affect your character. The beliefs that we have, the things that we hold as being priorities or values, and there are our, what we might call our core values, 
they determine the type of person that we are. Second, our character will determine our parenting. You know, there's, there's lots of books out on parenting. There's lots of books out on how to, to, uh, to deal with other people. And I'm not against those things. I think most of those things are very, very helpful. But you know, when it gets right down to it, the most important ingredient is your character, is the type of person that you really are. Because the, the, the people that you can fool the least are your children. Because, see, you, you come to, to church or go to work and you deal with a certain set of people and you can put on a face and you can appear to be a certain way to them. But, see, your, your children see you in all kinds of different environments, in all kinds of different roles. And so they really know, they really see what your character is about. So you can't, you can't fool them. It's almost as if children are wired to see hypocrisy. And so it's important to you, for you to be the kind of person that, that really has those values and really that's your core center. And if that's the case, you will raise your children in that light. So that's more important than any kind of, of technique that you might apply. And then the other thing we learn here is starting the Lord's work early is incredibly important. To involve your children in the church and its activities early is, is critical. That's what Hannah did. She did it at a very young age. If you think about anything, anything you want to be good at, isn't it true that the earlier in life that you start, the better the chance you have of becoming very successful at that. You know, whether it's play a musical instrument or pick up a second language. When, when someone is young, their mind is, is still forming. And in those formidable years, if they're exposed to the right type of, of values and the right type of training, it's going to have a bigger impact than if we wait till much later. Not saying we can't change as we're older. We can, but it's just more difficult. Hannah also believed this, and we should believe this, that God rewards those that are faithful. And in Hannah's case, we see in Second in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. You know, it must have been a great source of happiness to Hannah to see him grow and be successful in doing the thing that she had committed him to do. It must have been a great thing. A mother's influence. I hope this is the time that you think about your mom. Think about... The, the lessons that, that she has taught you. Now, moms aren't perfect. Moms aren't perfect. But, and, and they can't be. But if you look at, you think about your mom and the values that they taught you, my guess is, is they've taught you, a, they've, they have shaped the kind of person that you become. And you remember them for the good lessons that they have taught. I would encourage you to thank your mom 
to, to value the time you have with your mom because it's fleeting. Uh, I know there's probably there's pe- I know there's people in the audience that have lost their mom, and their mom is only just you know you just remember, you're, but you remember that. Uh, think about them today. Think about what they have done for you, and giving you a chance perhaps to be here. And the other thing I would say from this is that Hannah kept her vow. How about you and me? For those of us that are Christians, some time ago we made a vow to be, be, to be committed to the Lord. And you know, that we asked we ask Jesus to be our Savior. But you know, there's, it's a package deal. He won't be our Savior unless we will make Him our Lord. So we've got to make Him the Lord and King of our lives if we want Him to save us. So I would encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, If we can assist you in any way, we're going to sing a song of invitation. We would ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.